Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by the new voice-activated sync in your Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. This week on TWIP, Drobo gets a big S, Hasselblad reveals a multi-shot $30,000 camera, and author David Dushman talks about his new book, Vision Monger. All that and more coming your way next on episode number 117 of This Week in Photography. And we're back for another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Here live in the studio is Mr. Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex. I'm here. Thank you for coming. My, my pleasure. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to have you here actually driving the ship like Captain Kirk over there. Actually, you'd be like Sulu, because I watched that last night. <laughs> Captain. No, no, sorry. <laughs> And uh, coming to us live from the far right side of the country is Mr. Aaron Mailer. Hey, Aaron. Hello, hello. How have, you, how have you been? We haven't seen you on the show in like forever and a day. What's been going I on in your been world? crazy busy all summer long, well into the fall, just with my regular job. But um, I, I won't say things are settling down tremendously, but they're getting more of a balance to them. So, uh, and I'm off this week and actually completely off next week, gone next week. So I won't be here or producing next week. Gotcha. Yeah, the uh, the TWIP audience, I'm sure, misses that white cat that walks around behind you from time to time. <laughs> they're both around here somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I know they're in the room. And coming to us from down in Southern California is Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. Who can complain? Yeah, not a cloud in the sky, I bet, right? That's right. All right, uh, before we jump into the news, let's give a quick nod to our sponsors. First up is um, Audible.com. They're a leading provider of spoken word entertainment. They've got over 50,000 titles to choose from, and they can be downloaded and played back anywhere. If you'd like to get a free audiobook of your choice, just head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP, T-W-I-P, and pick a free audiobook of your choice. And we're also brought to you by who else, Alex? Squarespace.com. It's a fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to squarespace.com slash T-W-I-P. That's squarespace.com slash TWIP, and you can get 10% off if you use the TWIP uh, code, coupon yeah. code. Coupon code. And what's also, coupon code? TWIP. TWIP. D-W-I-P. Everything is TWIP. 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 And, uh, and also, we uh, want to thank... Um, uh, Ford Sync, uh, the new voice-activated Sync. Sync uh, listens to your voice, so Sync knows uh, what to do when you tell it to play Twim or Twip uh, or, or Call Home or play your favorite playlist or give your uh, turn-by-turn navigation, even weather and traffic updates, all hands-free with uh, the sound of your voice. For more uh, details, you can go to SyncMyRidePodcast.com and to enter to win a free Nano or Zune, send a tweet uh, with the hashtag Sync my ride podcast very cool all right let's jump into the news and first up you know this is a very special day for me it's a very special day happy birthday thank you i've given birth or my (laughs) (laughs) it's a boy it's a boy it's a boy and and, and fred 
What are you going to call him? Here, here he is. We're, What's the name? His name is Drobo S. There he is. It's oh, the brand new look at that. five bay Drobo S sporting uh, a new eSATA interface on the back of this thing, as well as Firewire and USB. Um, and, and we, for, for full disclosure, full, I work at Drobo. So Fred, you know, Fred uh, joins us that. in talking. But I just, we just need to make sure, yeah. you know, this is a new era of FTC oversight. Oh, yeah, that's right. So we need to make sure that everyone knows that Fred works at Drobo. And I gave this to myself Dro- for free. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I want to say for the record that I bought one this morning. You did. This morning. With no discount or anything. No discount. Retail. Wow. I paid retail for it. Thank you. So I appreciate you, that. That's my pleasure. Tell a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this is the new Drobo S, yeah. and it's uh, uh, the, Drobo is not a sponsor for today, uh, nope. but but Fred works there, and we're very excited about it. And Fred has put in his uh, his blood, sweat, tears. You know what? This is what I've been like. You know, I've been working very hard. Or everybody yeah. at Data Robotics, everybody. A special shout out to our web developer Grace Wong, who uh, has been burning fifteen midnight candles to get our website out. So definitely go to Drobo.com and check out everything that's there, yeah. especially the Drobo S stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, just you can't really email her, but just say thank you as you're clicking around <laughs> the website. Uh, but the Drobo S, you know, we're, yeah, it's here. So, yeah, like I said before, it's got five bays instead of four like the old one, which was mm-hmm. Firewire. Um, and that new eSATA interface, Fast. which is up to 50% faster yeah. than the old version, Very uh, good. The, four, the Firewire version. So, so check, definitely check it out at, yep. uh, at Drobo.com. Drobo.com. You okay. can't miss it. Fantastic. All right. Also in the news, uh, Casio. They've got a new camera out, the Xlim GEXG1. Aaron, what's what's fabulous about this camera? Uh, it's apparently built to take quite a beating. Um, shock resistant to a seven foot drop, waterproof to ten feet, dust proof, freeze proof to fourteen degrees, uh, stainless steel and polycarbonate fiberglass case. So uh, meant to you know take a, a pretty good beating. Apparently, so this is it's the one used- you take skiing. Yeah, 12.1 megapixel, so pretty healthy resolution. Bad. Like a G9. Um, looks relatively compact as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. It looks good. I, I mean, don't I have, have a lot of experience with Casio cameras other than we do have the uh, we do have the unit here that does the high speed, like 1,200 frame per second oh, yeah. uh, video recording, which I had fun smashing Christmas balls on the front porch with it. Oh, where, where are you going to post those? He posted um, them. Didn't you post did those you post already those? on your blog? Yeah, I, I sent those? them around to you guys, but I don't know if I posted them publicly. I'll, I'll put those up. And All right. Actually, I just did some work with it last week um, because the engineering department at the college where I work is doing uh, wind tunnel testing of a leading edge of a wing that they're designing. So it's helping them get their lighting correct uh, so that we can do this you know, 600 to 1,200 frame per second analysis of the smoke curling over the wing. So I'll send you some samples of that when they're And what camera is that again, Aaron, the one that does the high speed? You know, I it, it's very much like this one. It's a Casio something with a random series of letters and numbers after it. So, <laughs> hey, Casio marketing department. You know, <laughs> we don't like these random series of letters and numbers. Come on, I, I got. I do got to say that Casio seems to be doing a nice job of sort of fitting in that weird niche of, you know, uh, here's a camera with interesting features on it. They've got this one we just talked about. They've got the high speed stuff. I'm actually thinking about. You know, they've got. We've got the high-speed one that Aaron's talking about, which is sort of a bigger uh, all-in-one uh, point-and-shoot, but they it's also have a pocketable. semi-DSLR size, you know, Right, physically. but they also yeah. do have one that's the, the pocket size, the ultra-slim side of thing that will also shoot at 1,000 frames per second. And I'm actually considering getting one of those as a handy kind of... I, I don't know, I still... Mind, with each speed bump you take frames per second, you shrink down the image size, and it gets extremely dark. Yeah. So you're going to need a lot of light, and you're looking at a pretty low-res image when you're doing 1,200 frames a second. But 300 to 600 is still, you know, does a pretty fantastic job. You know, I was doing, I, uh, 
I was doing tests with the uh, the Sony. It was one of the Sony video cameras. It's mm-hmm. two hundred a mere two hundred and forty. Uh, frames per second and i gotta say that there's something about high speed that just yeah. you just want to go out and shoot yeah. you just want to do lots and lots of things yeah well what do we aaron and and ron what are we looking at in terms of price for these things they're all in the same you know the same ballpark as equivalent cameras uh of that size and you know, you know there's not, you're not paying a huge premium for it uh, yeah this was under a thousand i believe a good bit under a thousand i believe when they purchased it, or just under anyway and these are they're essentially point. point and shoots that do high speed right yeah so under a thousand, that's that's kind of a chunk of change for a point and shoot, though, right? When I can get a G nine or a G ten or a G eleven for like four hundred, but then you need to buy a case for it. But then you have to buy a case for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you know, I'm I'm just very price sensitive. Okay, come on. Um, so speaking of price, for thirty four thousand one hundred and sixty nine dollars, Amir, Amir, Ron Brinkman, what could they walk away with? You can have your very own. Hasselblad H3D2-50 multi-shot. Multi-shot. Woo. Multi-shot. This is obviously um, a bit out of the normal price range for most of our (laughs) listeners, or at least (laughs) most of our hosts, one of the two. Unless Uh, your name ends in born. (laughs) Yeah, born. (laughs) Unless Uh, you have a born identity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But uh, the the reason why I I think it's worth mentioning is uh, the one thing they did with this camera is it has this, I guess it's a mode that you can go into. Uh, where it will take multiple shots. This only works with a, a still scene. Multiple shots where it actually, I think, shifts the sensor over by one pixel mm-hmm. uh, one between pixel. shots. And what that does is eliminate, you know, in, in a regular, most of the cameras we have these days, they have what's called a Bayer pattern inside of there. So it's not really capturing red, green, and blue at every uh, pixel. It's capturing one of those colors and then it's interpolating across the other ones to get to the color range. And, and what this Hasselblad does then is actually moves the sensor around so that it gets true red, green, and blue for every pixel in the sensor. So, you know, that that uh, 50 megapixel is a true 50 megapixel, which is actually a little bit different than uh, what you're getting on a lot of other cameras. So that's part of what you're paying that uh, extreme price premium for. Does it seem like a lot of work to just get the same thing that a Foveon gives you? Yeah, but I don't think you can't get a 50 megapixel Foveon. And, uh, Only because for thirty four thousand dollars, I bet you could. <laughs> yeah, if you showed up at their door with a thirty four thousand in a suitcase, maybe. <laughs> I just like to know. I like to see their customer list for this, and just I like to know who's buying it and who who and what they're using it for. Keep in mind that's fifty megapixels composited in camera too. Yeah. Yeah, but so. you know, in composited outside of the camera in Photoshop, I could do a lot of that for thirty thousand dollars. I'm just saying, you know. I, I'm almost sure that you know this is obviously for commercial photography where they they like that high resolution stuff for doing model shoots for doing uh, something that's get yeah. blown up to a billboard that kind of thing where you know if you're paying if the, the client is paying you hundreds of thousands of dollars to put together a shoot then yeah. maybe a camera like this does make sense but yeah. it, admittedly it is sort of the upper tier this is not prosumer gear. I'm thinking small. You're absolutely right. I need to think <laughs> big budget, and this becomes just a small line item. Well, like- and you'd be surprised. I mean, how how often, you know, having really really cool toys uh, allows you to to charge more. Mm. Very true. Absolutely. You know, you, you know, if you show up at a give me an example. Of that. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, is that that we we talk a lot about you know how someone was looking at our our Kina flows um, the other day when we were shooting, and um, and they said you know you could build those at Walmart. You know, you know, you could build. You know, you go to Walmart and you could build the same thing, and it would have the same effect. And, yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, 
And if a client came in and saw them, they wouldn't pay me what they pay me to do it. And the reason they wouldn't pay perception. me to do it, no, it's not just perception. It's also that I know that those quinos will always work. You know they're not gonna you know they're not gonna break down they're not gonna you know do something else they're not gonna be, you know when you pay for professional equipment when you pay for big equipment it's it's it, anything works on a sunny day yeah <laughs> you know, right. it's it's what you know professional equipment high end equipment it's what happens when things are less than perfect that's, you know and and that's mm-hmm. the you know that's what professional equipment that's how, what, when it sets itself apart yeah. is the ability to adjust for harsh conditions and so you know the the harsh conditions that this camera i think is really built for is needing to blow it up to a billboard mm-hmm. needing to be able to go in the other thing to remember is always regardless of how big you want it uh, most of the things that we're shooting are going to be touched up later in photoshop so you want to be able to open them up at the highest resolution and super sample it so that you can do all the paintings and then and then you're going to shrink it back down and all of that stuff's going to get kind of mushed together yeah you know and so there there are a lot of reasons and it's not a lot of people aren't going to buy it they're going to rent it you know so the the people who buy these kind of things are rental houses i mean we don't buy uh we have some nice cameras but but if we want an f23 which is a quarter million dollar camera uh we're not going to buy the f23 we're gonna we're gonna rent it for two grand you know you know and this one is probably going to rent for thirty four thousand. probably rents for my guess is five hundred to a thousand dollars a day. Yeah, and and so you know, the, when you think of a, a big commercial shoot that might be seventy thousand dollars for the day because of all the other stuff that's going on, a thousand dollars isn't isn't yeah. a big number. And when you talk about price perception, you know that it's it, it makes perfect sense because if you go to a let's say you're a wedding photographer, you go to a wedding and uh, you shoot it with a G11, which is you know got a got a pretty good <laughs> sensor in there. Yeah. You know, versus shooting it with your D3, which arguably may have less megapixels in it, you know. Right. So, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the, I think that that's the issue. And, and could you get great photos with the G11? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but what happens when there's a lot of low light conditions, there's yeah. a lot of um, things that you need to react to quickly, you know, having all those dials on the surface, having all the extra tools means that you can pull um something out of the fire that you wouldn't be able to do with a small camera yeah or shooting 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 the bridal shots with yeah. the same camera that you uh that that the uh the bride has is going to take on a honeymoon with her it's yeah. probably not a good idea were you were you saying Ron? Uh, sorry i was just saying how do you build the the technical skill on the hasselblad at 500 dollars a day when you rent it periodically too because you need you need your you run or uh, you know, Aaron's most, saying you need it over time to I guess, sort of build up that skill. You can, but I have to say that for a lot of these cameras, uh, it's a it's understanding photographically what you're doing. Um, oh, true. You know that these cameras, especially those medium format cameras, are they operate pretty much the same as um, as old Hasselblads would. Yeah. You know, they, except they've got a digital back. So I, I don't think that you're um, learning that much on set. Yeah. And typically, what what you end up doing is checking out. I'm more familiar with video cameras, but typically what what'll happen is when we when we rent a Panavision or we rent a big camera, you'll spend you'll spend the afternoon checking it out the day before, mm-hmm. and working with the tech and making sure that you know where all the buttons that you expected were and yeah. and everything else. But that else, that's also why professionals are you know valuable. The people who get paid to do this right. over and over and over again, um, they have a gonna, certain you're level not of rent a Ferrari to learn how to drive a Ferrari either, right? <laughs> right. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, with video, there's a lot of training, um, training courses that are available mm-hmm. for the F950 or the F23 or the, the Dalsa. And, and, uh, and there are some good photo houses that will do training uh, on some of these high-end cameras, especially if they're going to be renting them to the clients. They'll do like a one-day seminar on how to use the camera, how to, get, how to get good at it, and so on and so forth. And usually for most photographers, I think it's really a matter of which button is where. 
is is right. really the is really the question because the other stuff should be pretty straightforward. Yeah, I asked that I, question I, I for it, it lead goes. into our Q and A later. So. Right, 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 right. Back to, very good. What were you going to say, Ron? I was just going to say it, it all goes back to that mindset of what a professional is versus a, a hobbyist kind of thing. I mean, you, you always hear people say, "Well, you know, I, I can get just as good as a result with this or that," but there's just so many things to go into it. And when you're you're on set shooting something, you know, even the two minutes of, of difference that a good ergonomic uh, kino flow has where, you know, it's easier to adjust the, the height of the lamp, uh, that, that ends up adding up to being a lot of money uh, if you've got 10,000 other things going on at the same time. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on. Um, Google is also in the news today with Google Image Swirl in uh, Google Labs. Ron, uh, did you read the, read the notes on this? What do you think about it? <laughs> it's it's image searched with a node view. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Define it. T- tell us tell us what it is. Uh, it's just a different way of browsing through images. It's kind of neat. I mean, I've played over the course of my career with a lot of different ways of sort of visualizing relationships of data. Uh, and, and this one is it's it's a pretty useful one in the sense that what it does is let you search for an image and then find similar images, and they're kind of laid out radially around the one that you searched for. And uh, you can click on one of those outliers, and then that will be repositioned to be the center of what you're searching for, and there'll be other options around it. So it's kind of a way of uh, looking at images, narrowing down exactly what you're looking for. I think it could be a very powerful tool. It's sort of an alternate to typical browsing methods. Uh, and if you sort of are looking for a particular uh, particular image or something out of a stock photo library, uh, or if you're just trying to find an image that you think you saw and you want to start with, uh, an approximation and kind of narrow it down, it's useful. But I, I think you're going to see a lot more of this kind of thing where you have alternate tools for helping you to just visualize this vast amount of data that's out there uh, on the web. Yeah, it's cool. You know, and, and there's there's some third-party tools that plug into the, the Flickr API that allow you to visualize images like that too. Have you, have you seen those? I, I've seen, yeah, I've seen a few different things that, that do that kind of stuff. And I, I think... The problem is unless it's sort of right in front of you or it's sort of part of the tool in question, it's, most of the time you're not going to bother going into it. So the mm-hmm. fact that Google is going to make this uh, a browsing paradigm that's available to everybody will probably mean this kind of thing will show up in other packages as well as a sort of native way of getting through images. Very cool. All right, and, our, uh, and another story up that we want to chat about is uh, – <laughs> this is really interesting. So Facebook – uh, the posting of some Facebook photos has led to the cancellation of a, a Quebec woman's insurance policy. So <laughs> we got to put this under. What were you thinking? <laughs> this is like, come on, that's like you know, I, you know, I, I'm sure that there's going to be enough hubbub and somehow she'll get her insurance well, back or, or something like story, that. Alec. Well, this Quebec woman, you know, she had she was on long term sick leave um, with a diagnosis of depression. So that's that, that's part of the problem. Um, she lost her health benefits after an insurance provider found photos of her face, of, I mean, of her, of her on Facebook smiling and looking cheerful at parties and out on the beach. And moonwalking um, and breakdancing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the thing is, is that it, it is, uh, I understand that she could probably try to argue that it was therapy. Uh, there's you know, a key item is, here, though, but, to but add to the story. Sorry, say that again? Uh, so there's one key element to add to the story, though. Mm-hmm. It was part of her locked profile. Oh, I didn't yeah, see that. But that's, uh, I, I don't think we can assume that anything on Facebook. I mean, the, she friended True. somebody who was, you know, somebody friended her and she said accept. 
I'm sure that that's that's how it, mm-hmm. they sure, they got a hold sure. of it. I mean, you know, when you when I put stuff up, on, I mean, I, I'm afraid that I'm pretty friendly. Yeah. On Facebook, you you friend everybody. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And and so the um and so uh, I don't assume that anything I put up there is going to be um private. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that unless you are really locked down, like you're o- only your friends' friends or or whatever, put it on the internet. It's you, when you put it on the internet, it's on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you're getting a insurance, you know, long term disability for depression. There should be nowhere on the internet that you have of you laughing and <laughs> having fun. Even but, I mean, smirking, get, right? And again, I, I don't. I mean, I, this is sort of off topic for the the photo side of the thing. But just because somebody is suffering from depression doesn't mean they can't occasionally be happy and smile. So I think this is no, no, no. There's nothing wrong with being happy and smiling. There's just something wrong with if you are getting paid to stay home, do not put pictures of oh. you laughing on the internet. Yeah, you know, no, that's, yeah. You, know, you can have as much fun as you want. Just don't publicize it. <laughs> I, I, I kind of disagree, though. I mean, I think this is a gross uh, extension of what an insurance company can do to determine whether... I mean, I, you, you hear stories about people that are collecting, uh, you know, uh, workman's comp for having some kind of an injury, and then you see photos of them uh, playing basketball or uh, you right. know, up repairing the roof or something like that. And, right. and I'm... And, and that's, that's fine, but but that's, that's pretty much stupid. what this is. We're talking about depression. But, uh, here. It's not. I mean, depression is a different thing. People can be, you know, suffer severe depression. They can have suicidal thoughts in the middle of the night, but they can still manage to function during the day. And I think that's a radically different sort of thing. I just, you know, all I'm saying, and, and I think that the reason this pertains to uh, this week of photography is that is that you, you there is a responsibility when you start taking pictures of stuff and you start putting them up on the internet to know what the there's going to be ramifications. There's a lot of things I don't put pictures. <laughs> there's a lot of things I don't take pictures of, and then there's many other things that I don't put on the internet and and the thing is is that i think that sometimes we feel like we should be able to express ourselves any way we want and not have any um you know result uh, you know of that and i think that um you know i think that that's cavalier kind of overlaps some too with the the whole issue of prospective employers checking people out online looking at things they've done or said online in the you know prior to an interview I Google. I Google everyone that that's, we look at that's hiring. That's different. I mean, just, just so you know, I mean, I Google every person that we think we're going to hire. Totally. There's no expectation, I mean, and I would too if they if they've exposed themselves, <laughs> figuratively speaking, on the internet. <laughs> then they should expect the potential employer to be looking at their history. I mean, you can't say, well, you know, only look at this good stuff, potential employer. You know, they're going to look at everything. I right. would. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that especially in California, it's so hard to let someone go. That mm-hmm. you you do you do everything short of a you know federal background check yeah you know because it's just you know you have to take you have to be accountable for that I don't know because most most employment agreements in Silicon Valley are at will anyway so it, you know they could they're free to say goodbye anytime right yeah. Ron anyway they are but there's there's also it's actually very hard to to fire people in a lot of circumstances there's all kinds certain yeah you can always let them go but there's been so many cases of people coming back and suing for improper termination and winning you know a lot of these things can go to a jury that it, it's not necessarily trivial and especially if you're a big company yeah. uh, it's and, really common for big companies to negotiate settlements rather than let people go just because uh they you know it's easier than, than dealing with the down the road costs of legal issues anyway so the, the moral of the story is when you're taking photos Thank you for bringing us back. Be careful. <laughs> yes. We were going down a rat hole right there. Rat hole. <laughs> but it was an interesting rat hole. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, let's take this opportunity to give a nod to our sponsor, Audible.com. As I said in the beginning, they're the leading provider of spoken word entertainment. They've There's got some a- controversy here, by the way. About Audible? Yeah. 
Is it 50,000 or 65,000? See, Leo gets co- copy that says 65,000 titles, and we get copy that says Maybe 50, there are only 50,000 titles. titles with photographs in them. <laughs> it might also be that Aaron hasn't updated the script in a long time. So, <laughs> so anyway, okay, so it's somewhere, between, I, somewhere between 50 and 70,000. I'm going to edit it. Here we go. I'm going to edit it. Here we go. Let me start from they're the beginning. I'm going to start from the beginning. Audible.com, they're the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has thousands and thousands of titles to choose billions from and to be billions. downloaded and played back anywhere. Now, uh, I'm listening to a book right now. What are you listening to? Um, I'm actually listening to a couple books. I'm listening to, again, this is like the 12th time I've li- listened to this book, The Four-Hour Work Week. I'm trying to get to The Four-Hour Work Week. It just seems to be slipping away. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I wanted to write a book after the last four weeks why, why I haven't been on the show as often as... I have the 100-hour work week. <laughs> the 100-hour work week. Yeah, that, that's written by an Apple employee. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a little tear on the cover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah four-hour work week is, is my what I'm listening to. Actually, I was listening to it on the way up it's to great. Petaluma today. Yeah. You know, love it. It's great except for the last third, because the last third oh, is really the URLs. built. Well, oh. but it's, it's built for like, you know, you to go through it in the book. And so the thing is, you get to the end and you're, you're kind of like, okay, 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 move on, move yeah. on. But, yeah. but the first part, it's, it's very regardless of whether you agree with him on everything, it's very entertaining. It is. It's it really is. well, well written, well written. It is well pretty written. inspiring, too. I, I've read it, too. And it is kind of like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, you go back and realize that it's not all that practical in the real world, but it sure sounds good. It's like, don't only answer your email once a week. Yeah, you can't really do yeah. that. <laughs> not, not today. Not my email. What are you listening to, Alex? Anything? Um, I am working my way through uh, Glass Castle, which I um, I talked about uh, a few weeks ago. I think I recommended it. And so I'm still just slowly kind of working through it. It's been so busy, I haven't been able to play anything in the background just because yeah. I've been concentrating so much to try to finish a bunch ears. of deadlines. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the uh, uh, it is uh, riveting. I mean, it's it's a, it's about... I can't think of her name right now, but it's a, it's a, it's a woman who's a journalist now. Mm-hmm. Her childhood was crazy. Really? I mean, just, you know, her, I mean, just, uh, you know, she caught, you know, it's just a mix, mixture of her getting, you know, catching fire, making her own, uh, um, you know, her own hot dogs when she's three, you know, you know, at the Is trailer. Is Ariana Huffington? Is no, 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 no. And, and, and it, but it's like, and then, and then her dad like, you know, stealing her out of the hospital after he's decided she's been there long enough and, yeah. you know, but, but really a hard life, um, but not told in a woe was me, but kind of an adventurous spirit. Yeah. And, um, I really like, enjoy like it. Forrest it's Gump kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit like that. Anyway, it's, it's, um, it's pretty intense, um, but it's really, uh, I, I find it to be, it's, it's, I don't read books like that. Yeah. And, and so it was literally, I picked it up because my mom was listening to it and she's she, she, on audible and my parents are crazy audible yeah. fiends. And so, um, and she suggested it and it's, um, it's great. Aaron, are you, uh, are you listening to any books? <laughs> I actually just started another one this week based on, uh, Andy Anako's recommendation last week on Mac break, which I think I heard come up on Twitter again this weekend too. And that's uh, the book Badass. <laughs> what? What'd you say? It's called Badass. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a uh, a chronology of all the uh, great badasses in history. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Wow. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't you receive a model release um, or anything for that. <laughs> a bit tongue in cheek, to say the least. Yeah. Um, and I think Andy did the greatest introduction of it last week on MacBreak. Yep. But uh, you know, it's anything from Genghis Khan to you know General Patton to whoever. Very cool. All right. Awesome. All right. We're going to jump into our interview of the week. Uh, this is uh, a we've had David on the show before, David Dushman, um, but he's back again. He's got a brand new book out called Vision Mongers. It's a very interesting interview. So give it a listen. 
I'm here with David Dushman. He's a uh, photographer who has been on This Week in Photography before. Um, so he's a friend of the Twippers. And um, last time we were talking about a book that had just come out of his, and this time is no different. He's got another brand new book out on the scene called Vision Mongers, subtitled Making a Life and a Living in Photography. And Mr. Dushman has joined us today to talk through what this brand new book is about and what his thought processes were behind writing it and all that good stuff. Hey, David. Hey, Frederick. How are you? I'm really good. So how, how are you doing up there? Are you, you're, in, you're in Vancouver right now? or I, I am. I'm doing well. It's a little soggy tonight, but uh, it's good. Very cool. Thanks for coming on the show. Man. I, really, we're, I, I got your book in the mail yesterday from the folks at Peach Pit. Uh, thank you for asking them to send me one. My um, pleasure. But, I, you know, I got to be honest, I haven't had a chance to read it uh, in depth yet, of course. I'm not a speed reader, but I was uh, flipping through it. It's a beautiful book. I mean, this thing is, it's, uh, it's a magazine and a book and a coffee table book all in one. What's, a, what was, what, what's the book about, first of all? Why would somebody want to buy this? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Why does anyone <laughs> buy this stuff? I don't know. Um, Other yeah. than them being a fan of David, you know? Why yeah, well, it? that's a, I think that's a sociopathic reason more than anything <laughs> else. But, um, you know, the, I think the subtitle says it all, making a life and a living in photography. Um, I love what I do. I love the fact that I can make a living at it. But, um, you know, for every email that comes into me that says, you're living the dream, tell me the secret. Uh, I, I have a, a lot of explaining to do that there is no secret. And in fact, yeah, it is a dream. I love it. Not for a minute would I want to do anything else now. But it's just dang hard work. And there is no one path. I can't tell someone, here's the 10 steps you need to take. And no one can. Anyone that's selling a system, anyone that's got the secret to being a, quote, professional photographer is selling snake oil. This is just, it's stinking hard. And your own path is as unique as you are. So I wanted to write a book that kind of addressed some of that kind of stuff also address the changing landscape. I mean, things have changed so much recently. The rules have changed. Even the, the line that once defined what an amateur and a professional is, I think it's not even meaningful anymore. So I don't really even discuss professional photography. I discuss it from a, a uh, paradigm of vocation, which means calling. So whether, you know, you feel like you're, you're called by God or just the crazy voices in your head, or it's just something that you are so compelled to do. This is really a book for people that feel like they want to do this, uh, full time or part time, but they want to try to make a living at it because they can't, they can't do anything else. Like there's just something that's compelling them to do it. And I think that's the best reason to, to do this for a living because frankly, if, if you're better at being a dentist and you love being a dentist, it's probably a lot easier just yeah. to remain being a dentist and be a hobbyist on the side. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I, there's a bit in the book about the advantages of remaining a hobbyist and doing this as an amateur. The word amateur just means someone who loves doing something, does it for the love, and there's no shame in that. In fact, I, I, I would rather be referred to as an amateur in some ways than a professional because yeah. the word professional is just – it's become so tainted and really meaningless. Anyway, this is just a – it's a sketchbook of ideas and thoughts uh, about becoming – a vocational photographer. So there's everything in there from branding to uh, advice on sort of how to look at your finances to social media. And there's, it's just a, a sketchbook of all of this kind of stuff and where, where the temptation would be to get in just contracts and that sort of thing. I'm really quite happy to refer people to uh, better voices that contribute to that discussion. Um, you know, like Richard Harrington and his 
uh, Best Business Practices or whatever his book is called. There's a number of books out there that, that go to really into detail about some of this, you know, the legal stuff and the forms. This isn't about that. This is a book for someone who really wants to look at the broad picture and get inspired and yeah. get uh, or the real meat on the, the, the full picture. And then when you want to go deeper into individual topics, then, you know, probably you should be exploring books that aren't even written by photographers. If you want to learn about social media, I mean, really learn about it. Photographers are not the people to learn from. You learn from social media experts. If you want to learn about marketing or finances, you know, if you have financial questions, don't ask another photographer, get an accountant, you know, and it's the same with legal concerns and all of that. So those are books that I think are better left to people that are truly experts in their own field. So this is, this is, I haven't seen a book like this or, or targeted at this particular niche before. It, the, the book, like I was saying, it looks great, but it's not a, it's not a tutorial. It's not a how to use Lightroom, how to use this, how to use that. And it, on the other side of it, it's not a coffee table book. It's not like, hey, look at all the exotic places David's been to. You know, it's, it's somewhere in between. It's a, you know, look at all the places David's been to, but and and this is how he was able to to form his life to be able to go to those kind of places. Is that correct? Is that accurate? Uh, he, he, yeah, in part it is. Um, you know, and, and yet at the same time, there's a lot of different images in there. Uh, where those images are mine, I mean, I've done some pet photography in the past. I've done some, I mean, all kinds of different stuff, and so I've put images in there that come from all kinds of. Uh, shoots that I've done commercially to, you know, to make a living at this. And then on top of that, and I think this is what gives the book more texture than what I could do on my own, is I've interviewed and spent time with friends and other photographers like people like Chase Jarvis and Zach Arias and uh, humanitarian photojournalist Carl Grobel. And um, I've got a a friend who's a pet photographer in Los Angeles. Her name's Grace Chan. Mm -hmm. She's in there. There's a a headshot and food photographer in Vancouver, a wedding photographer, uh, actually a couple that are exceptional wedding photographers. And I've talked to all of these people and talked to them about, you know, the real meat of what it takes to make a a life and a living in photography, their struggles, their bankruptcies, all of this kind of thing and how they, how they really made it. Because what I want people to understand when they're standing at this, the the beginning of this, or or they've even been doing it for 20 years and it's time for an overhaul that when you're looking for, you know, the path, there is no the path. There's no one way of doing this. Everyone figures it out in a way that's unique to them that's unique to their passions and their vision and their gifts and um you know usually it just takes getting out there and risking it i think everyone what they're saying when they say how do i do this you know what they're saying is how do i do it without risking everything and you can't you have to risk i mean but at the same time the, the truth is when you work for someone else, you're risking too. Your your job is in someone else's hands and they can screw it up and the company can go bankrupt and you can be gone tomorrow. So this idea, especially in this economic climate, this idea of security, I think it's it's an illusion at best. And if that's the case, you might as well get out there and do something that you love. I mean, you might as well, you got one life to live and, you know, it's... Uh, Life's too short to to screw around and, and then at the end go, oh, I wish I had given it a try. So yeah. I hope that the book is is equal parts encouraging and realistic. I, I spend quite a lot of time at the beginning going, you know, this is hard. And <laughs> if you're not willing to, to realize that uh, it's a lot of hard work, then maybe you should stick with your day job. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think any book that doesn't isn't, isn't honest about the reality of this is unfair and it'll hang people out to dry if they don't understand that this is, you know, there are ways of doing this with, with wisdom and with caution. But at, at, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's, 
there's risk involved. That's just the way it is. Well, David, you, you said you said a couple times that it's it's hard. Being a photographer is hard, or being a, a professional photographer is hard. What what does that mean? Does that mean uh, it's hard getting clients? Um, it's it's hard making ends meet, or you know, it, what just kind of define what the, what the negatives or the hard part of being a photographer is. Everything, Frederick. Everything's hard. <laughs> if you were a tree, which tree would you it's, be? <laughs> it's horrible. It's you know what it is. It's yeah. I mean, it's everything is hard. Uh, the uh, and yet it's not. I mean, when you do something you love, even though what you're doing is hard, it's the discovery and and the joy of learning and making mistakes is uh, it, it becomes fun. But you're going in and the, with the difficulty at the very core is combining the world of craft with the world of commerce because there's so many areas in which, I mean, where those two worlds collide, there are just so many issues that you need to, uh, that you need to learn and navigate your way through. And so there are, there are financial issues. There are uh, a million ways in which you can be a financial moron. And fortunately I, I have a section in the book called how not to be a financial moron based uh, largely on my own experience of being one for a long time. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, you know, there's so much that is just difficult, and we're in difficult economic times. And there are so many would-be photographers out there that desperately want to try to make a living at it. And they're all, you know, they're all vying for the same dollars and um, using the same technique. And so it, it is a challenge. It's, it's very difficult. And, and being a photographer's heart. I mean, just learning to use this limited technology to express your vision and your passion is difficult enough. And, you know, then to add on top of it the demands of um, the world of commerce and marketing and finances and legalities uh, it just it is a, a real challenge. And I, everyone I know and the, the people in the book uh, – that I interviewed and, and profiled there would say the same thing. You know, they wouldn't trade it for anything. This is just, this is what they love doing and they love the challenge, but not everyone is cut out for that. And that's okay. And, and I think a lot of people feel like they need to be a quote professional photographer to be a quote real photographer. Yeah. And, you know, if I could, if I could disabuse them of that notion, I'd be happy with that too, because you're a real photographer if you're creating stuff that you love and you're passionate about and you're growing in your craft, whether you ever make a dollar from it or not is totally irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, if people take that home, cause a lot of people think, Oh, one day I'm going to be a, a real photographer and, you know, hey, hey, Alice in Wonderland, you already are <laughs> a real yeah, photographer. Yeah, sure. It, exactly. And, you know, I, the, the parallel that my, my buddy Matt Brandon brought up recently, we were talking about the same thing, was Olympic athletes. You know, um, by definition, Olympic athletes for the longest time, I'm sure it's still true now, couldn't be, quote, professional athletes. And no one would ever say of an Olympic athlete, well, he's not athlete you know um i mean that's that's absolute nonsense yeah. um, and it's the same thing with us you are a real photographer when it becomes the thing that, about which you are passionate and you may also be a dentist and a father and you may have a lot of roles mm -hmm. including being a photographer and it's the same with, some, with someone who is a quote professional photographer yeah. you know you also have other roles that you play in life and so these these boxes and labels are really silly i, I would love to do without them and that's one of the reasons that I, I tried very hard to avoid them in the book and to talk about things from a bit of a different paradigm instead of talking about you know amateur versus professional which i i'm just not sure is 
not only does it not apply, I don't think it's helpful to anyone. Yeah. Now, David, what about marketing? I know you're you're on Twitter. What's your what's your Twitter address again? Pixelated Image. So you're on Twitter at Pixelated Image. Um, you've got a blog going on. I think you're probably on Facebook too, and all that good stuff. Uh, how important is marketing online to you, particularly? You know, in the in the kind of things that you want to get done, and also just generally to the to the photographers that are are listening to you and wanting to learn from you. What what's the value of of digital marketing? Uh, it's huge, absolutely huge. I, I cannot imagine doing what I do without it. Um, now, uh, before I even answer the question, you know, whether digital marketing is, is beneficial or isn't, the big question, and I think this is what gets skipped over, the big question is, who's your market? And you, you always, I mean, no matter what you're at, whether it's marketing or carpentry, you pick your tool according to what you want to accomplish. And I, I think there are a lot of people that just jump on Twitter and they just, they want to, you know, just jabber away about their cat and stuff. And that's, that's fine. But from a marketing perspective, you have to decide first and foremost, whether your market is on Twitter yeah. and whether they care about what you ate for lunch and whether, you know, what your cat's currently doing, um, they probably, no one cares about your lunch or what your cat is doing, whether they're your market or not. <laughs> um, but Twitter is a really powerful tool. So is Facebook. And most of the people that, again, that I interviewed in the book are using social media, um, some less uh, actively than others, but many of them are using it as a core of their their marketing initiatives because their their market is out there. And one of the things that people need to realize as a photographer one of the best ways to make a living in photography is to be part of the ph photographic community and to make that part of your market. It's not, I don't look at the photographic community primarily as my market. I really do look at it as a community, but there is an opportunity there for them to, um, to learn from me, to buy my books. And so Twitter has been very useful, but for someone who doesn't have any interest in selling books or even talking to the rest of the photographic community, um, it may or may not be the best tool. You have to decide where is your marketplace? Are they on forums? Are they, are they on Twitter? Are they on Facebook? So social marketing or social media is huge. You just have to be savvy about which tool you choose because really the only thing that matters is, you know, who is your market and how do they want to be communicated with? If it's not Twitter, then go where they are. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people think. I mean, you know, this whole social media marketing thing is now just sort of coming into fruition, and people are understanding that. Yeah, this is a viable way of marketing and getting your getting the word out about your product or service. Um, and they think, um, or a lot of people, I'm generalizing here, but a lot of people think, well, you know, I have to add learning Facebook, learning Twitter, learning all this to the list of things that I need to do in order to be a successful photographer. When I think in reality, yeah, you need to be cognizant of those things, but you also need to like exactly like you said, know your market and know where the people that you are trying to reach are residing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, Twitter is huge and a lot of people are either on Twitter or Facebook. Um, so I wouldn't for a minute suggest that you just dismiss those and say, oh, well, my market's not there. I think you really need to be there first to figure out whether your market's there. And sometimes you don't know who your market is. Sometimes you, you make assumptions that your market is, you know, is this when it could also be something else that you haven't explored. So I would encourage anyone. To, I mean, I got into 
Twitter kicking and screaming. My wife dragged me onto it, and I just <laughs> didn't want to be a part of it. It just sounded stupid. I was like, what, what am I going to tell people in 140 characters? And, and I, I just I couldn't see it until I got on it. I experimented with it, and I, I installed TweetDeck so I could kind of manage the thing a little better. And you know, I, I think people really need to give things like Twitter a fair shake to to determine whether or not it's a tool that they feel comfortable using. Um, I love it. I hate Facebook. Um, I I don't. Facebook's interface drives me crazy. But there are a lot of people that use Facebook instead of Twitter. And the wonderful thing about all of this is you can connect them now. My Twitter, anything that I write on Twitter gets pushed to my Facebook account. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I still have to check in with Facebook and approve friend requests and and just, you know, kind of manage it a little bit. I don't have to do much on it. Um, but again, you know, you ask why is it hard? Well, in, in part it's hard because you've got to manage all this stuff. You can't just open a Twitter account and expect it's all going to magically, you know, mm. poof and you're, you've got a, a million followers and it's generating actual business. You've got to get on it. You've got to use it as a tool. You know, you can buy all the hammers and circular saws you want. They're not going to build the house for you. Very good analogy. Yeah. Well, well speaking, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before about markets and finding your market. Um, you, you, um, I mean, there's, there's a, a, an interesting sort of subset of photographers that I talk to that are highly engaged in social media and blogging and they get it, you know, they get that this is the way that you're going to connect with, uh, other photographers and to some degree to the people that want to look at your work, um, looking at your blog, you get it, you know, and you're, you're blogging all the time and all that good stuff. But I also noticed that you have recently made the jump into sort of self-publishing and writing ebooks and that sort of thing. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, the reason I did that, um, and I, I mentioned some of this stuff in the book. There, actually, there were a number of reasons I did it. Uh, one of them is just simply because I, I believe very strongly that if you're going to make a living in the creative arts, you need to be as diverse as you can. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't be very niche marketed. And I also believe in niche marketing. I mean, I'm very niche marketed as far as my commercial uh, or commissioned work goes. Uh, I mean, very niche. And and I love that. But you also need to be very diverse in the sense that my commission work, I only make money if I'm out shooting. So if I am healthy and can get on a plane and go to Africa for two weeks and photograph, I make, you know, I make a, a living. Uh, but what happens if I get injured or I can't go or, you know, and, and I can only be in one place at one time. So my income is limited, especially in my market where you know, I work for humanitarian organizations. They don't have endless budgets to, you know, to absorb rising costs and that sort of thing. They want to pay me rates that are, um, you know, quite actually quite good rates for about 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so you, you have to you have to look at how can I make a living that doesn't involve me being present. And I read a book uh, titled Rich Dad, Poor Dad a while ago. And one of the things that it advocates is making a residual passive income. So something that is earning while you're not there. So uh, that was one of the reasons for the ebooks, because I can sell ebooks and they're cheap. They're $5 each. They're, you know, they cost less than a Starbucks latte. So I'm not exploiting anyone, mm -hmm. uh, but I can sell these when, I mean, my e-commerce stuff, it, it will do this while I'm on you know, on assignment, it'll do it when I'm sleeping, it'll do it when I'm sick. And it, it will, even if it's not a lot, it will bring in enough income that, you know, if I build this, um, I can rely on. And, you know, I want to take pro bono work. I want to work for non-governmental organizations that have no budget. And I want to be financially stable enough that when they say, hey, can you do this project? 
um, you know, in Cambodia I, for a week, I can say absolutely and I can fly to Cambodia and do the work without worrying about who's going to pay for it because I've got income coming in. You can't do that if you have no income and you still have to pay your rent and your, you know, your overhead for the business. Um, so that was one of the reasons that I started it. And the other reason was simply because uh, I love to create and being able to write and photograph and do the layouts and create a, a book that I have done all of it on. And I love collaboration. I love doing the print books, but there's something about doing it myself that I really enjoy. So this is just another kind of creative outlet to, you know, to fire up in design and, and lay all these elements together. And it's another creative outlet that, that I can be involved in. Wow. So you're, you're doing all this yourself. So you're writing it. The photography is yours. Uh, so the words, the photography, and the creative execution of the book itself are all yours, correct? Sadly, that is true, yes. <laughs> and you're selling it on your blog, which also contains your words and photography. Yes, I don't have much of a life, Frederick. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a problem we need to address. No, I mean, but that's, that's, I mean, that's kind of the dream for a creative, right? To be able to to execute your vision, um, to take your, even from a design, you know, switching over to my design hat, putting my design hat on to take some, lay something out, sketch it out on paper, uh, and then execute it in the computer, put your words in it, your images in it, and then put it on your website and have somebody give their hard earned money to you for this thing that just came out of your brain. That's sort of the circle of life for a creative, right? It is, and it's it's absolutely gratifying. I mean, to have people, uh, you know, tweeting about this stuff and these ebooks have received a phenomenal reception. I've I've got people. I've got an agency in Poland that is uh, now uh, dickering over the the licensing rights to translate these ebooks into Polish. Uh, I can't imagine for the life of me how large the Polish market for this is. But um, you know, it's it's exciting, and to to have this stuff not only out there but to have it getting such a reception because I've got a real heart for education. I love teaching and that's why I do my workshops is why I write the books because photography has given me so much and the, the photographic educators that I learned from and read their books gave me so much that I kind of feel like it's time to, you know, to pay it forward. And I don't do it out of obligation. I, I do it because I love it. But there is that sense that, you know, we're part of something bigger and, and, you know, I may not be the next uh, Steve McCurry or, you know, whoever, but, um, if I could be a part of the, the growth and the journey of someone significant like that, uh, that's gratifying. You know, yeah. even if I never know about it, it doesn't matter whether I know about it or not, but it's, it's one of those things that you think, you know, you're building into this, this noble craft and I love photography. That's great. Yeah. And you get to, you know, like I said, the circle of life, the photography, the words, the design, everything, it's, it's all coming from you, which was, pretty much impossible um you know several well maybe not impossible but it was really hard uh say a decade or so ago maybe 20 years you know you couldn't you couldn't self-publish um you could but you could only have a limited audience maybe through classified ads or something you could reach people um and you couldn't do anything to the level of professionalism that your book is i'm looking at it right now and it's uh it's stunning i mean it's a it's not like the normal ebooks that you t you normally come across where they're you download a PDF and it's a bunch of white pages with text on them, and you're lucky if you see a different font somewhere. This is this is a photography book. I mean, it's uh, it's beautiful. So congratulations. Thanks. You, you know, I think you said something there about you know the the prevalence and the ease of self publishing, and I think this is one of those instances where 
everyone in the photography world, I'm painting with a really broad brush here, but the, the general climate is, is a bit of a woe is me tale about, you know, the decline of traditional publishing and, and all of this sort of thing. And I think yes, it's disruptive and it's change and everyone hate, hates change, but there is intrinsic in all of this an incredible opportunity. In the past, we've been groveling at the feet of publishers to get our stuff out there. Now, we are our own publishers. Yeah. I can, if I want to write something, if I have a new thought, a new teaching, a new rant, uh, I can have it published on the internet in 20 minutes and probably if I worked overnight, I could have an ebook out and, uh, know in my ebook store uh by tomorrow morning mm-hmm. and it's Gen- generating income right and by tomorrow morning you could have the idea tonight write something pull, pull an all-nighter put it in the store and you'd be generating income by this time tomorrow yeah i mean e- even if generating income was not the issue the fact is for so long we we strove for legitimacy by begging at the feet of these publishers and I, i'm not casting aspersions on the publishers. I mean, I love my publishers. They're fantastic people, but there's always been gatekeepers and it's always been, it's not every photographer gets to publish, have their own work published. And when I get, you know, I just got vision mongers on Friday and I just, you know, I just giggle like a little girl when I get these books and hold them (laughs) in your hands. I mean, it's, I hope the thrill of that never goes away. It's really, really exciting. Um, but at the same time, not everyone gets to do that. And, but everyone can have a blog. Everyone can, not everyone necessarily should have a blog. There's a lot of people that should maybe just, you know, stop writing and, and spend a little more time learning and shooting. But you can absolutely, if if it's important to you as a creative, you know, Chase Jarvis has this paradigm where he says, you know, our job as creatives is to to create and share. That's it. The, yes, you have to sustain it. And for some people, that means working as a, a working vocational photographer. Other people are working at Starbucks or, or at you know, dental hygienist job or whatever, mm-hmm. but the sustaining part, it doesn't legitimize it. It's, it really has nothing to do with it. It might make it a little easier, um, but it might not also really the only thing that matters is create and share. And we have that in our hands. Now it used to be that the sharing part was a lot harder. You needed to know a gallery owner. You needed to know a publisher, you, you know, mm-hmm. now the minute you decide you want to, I mean, we've got self publishing through places like blurb.com. Anytime, if you want to do a book, you can do a book. Yeah. I think what you're really talking about is the democratization of of the medium, you know, and there's the like you said, the gatekeepers of years ago, even short years ago are though they're still important like the the Peach Pit Presses and the O'Reilly, all those all the big publishers that 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 cater to the kind of things that we do are still immensely important and there's that huge cachet of seeing your name in a Barnes and Noble you know, and saying, hey, look, there's my name on the spine of that book. You know, there's there's going to be that for who knows for a long, long time. But you're right. There's also the the person that all the people that would go to that publisher, because a publisher can only publish a finite number of books a year. So all the people that get turned away, that doesn't mean no. That means go do it some other way. And there's plenty of other ways now, whether it be a blurb, a Lulu, doing it yourself in InDesign and putting it on your blog or whatever you can you can if you want to get it out there you can do it no longer no doesn't doesn't mean no anymore these days correct no you're absolutely right and i think you know there there is no substitute for being able to walk into a barnes and noble and for me to put my books in front of joe mcnally and scott kelby's (laughs) books when no one's looking that's deeply gratifying uh in its own kind of 
you know, um, maladjusted way. <laughs> As if they don't do that to yours when they Ex- go into- <laughs> Exactly. But, you, you, well, I know Joe does it to Scott's anyway, but it's, you know, it's it, it really is gratifying. Um, but one of the things that I've been thinking about lately, you know, everyone's talking about this convergence. And by that, they're always referring to the convergence between stills and video. Everyone wants to learn video. And I'm kind of starting to encourage people, you know what, if if you're really passionate about it, go for it. But your time would be better spent uh, in in learning the skills that are much easily, you know, there's a convergence that we were just talking about where the old gatekeepers have gone. And now you can be not just a photographer, but your own publisher. And I would say if you're if you're not passionate about video, video costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. You don't just have to learn how to use your camera as a video camera. You have to learn the language of moving uh, photography of of videography you have to learn uh, the theory and technique of editing you have a huge investment in technology and upgrades it's massive and you're vying for such a small piece of the marketplace now there are a lot of photojournalists that are learning this stuff and it's a great storytelling medium so if it's just a creative thing go for it but I want to know why we haven't spent more time talking about the convergence between, you know, photography and publishing and why people are not going out and learning InDesign and why they're not publishing their own stuff. Because it is so easy with virality on the Internet. You could publish a beautiful book of your own work as a PDF and you could set it, send it out there for free. And more people would know about you in one day if it's a good looking book and it gets picked up. You know, put the PDF out to a YouTube video and get it out there. And more people will know about you by the end of the day than most photographers were heard of, you know, 50 years ago in an entire career. So the possibilities are huge and everyone's flocking, you know, like like lemmings to to video. I don't even know how to turn my, you know, video function on on my 5D Mark II. (laughs) It's just I have no interest. And part of that is because I spent enough time trying to learn Final Cut Pro when I was about halfway through one of those – Apple certification programs. And I finally thought, you know what, this is nonsense. I, I don't even enjoy this. Yeah. Um, I, I love watching movies and I've read a lot of books about the theory of editing and, and I appreciate it, but they're two different languages. And, you know, I, I appreciate, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, I was going to say I appreciate French, but I don't want to learn it, but I, I, I'm fluent in French. So it's, it's a terrible <laughs> analogy. Uh, you know, it's, it is like another language and you can't learn everything. So I think, there are a lot of people that, frankly, are still they're still mediocre, still photographers. To go out and try to learn to be a competent cinematographer, in the end, we're just going to end up being, you know, jack of all trade, master of none. Yeah, no, no, uh, absolutely, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a brand new world, and I think uh, a lot of a lot of folks are getting sort of swept up to, into the whole idea of, well, it's the next new thing, and I need to learn it in order to be to be able to consider myself a competent photographer. Um, and that's that's a mindset that I I see a lot of people and a lot of people that are, are sort of thought leaders in this leading people down that road of if you want to be a real photographer, you need to embrace the future. And the future is convergence of video and still photography. Um, and, you know, I where I fall on that, I think I don't I don't think I ever want to be a videographer and I don't I don't ever want to be. I respect videographers immensely. Like we had a guy named uh, Ron Dawson on the show who's a videographer and he uh he understands the language of film and motion and sound and, and composition for movement and, and all that stuff, you know, and I don't I, I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the films when I go to the theater and see all this stuff. But 
I I like still photography and that's what I want to do, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. you know, it's and, not that, not to hate on the people that want to learn that. I'm just saying no. you know, certain people like me, I don't I don't think that I want to go down the path of of being excellent at Final Cut Pro, excellent at soundtrack, excellent in uh all these after effects and learning all this editing language and then putting out something on, you know, on YouTube or whatever that people are going to consume. I want to I want to stick to learning. I, I still haven't learned all there is to know about light composition, shutter speed, aperture, and how all these things work together perfectly to you know to get consistent results. So, you know, it's uh, there's a lot to learn in all this, and adding in another layer of complexity is is hard. Right, and I, it's not the kind of thing I want to hate on either. In fact, I don't think there's anything I really particularly want to hate on. Um, it, what frustrates me is that there are people that are trying to learn the craft as photographers and now they're hearing this and they're feeling like oh this is yet another thing i got to learn and they're getting discouraged and they're moving not closer to being a passionate photographer but further and i think we need to strip away it's the same thing with the lines between you know being an amateur and and being a professional i, I get these emails that i wrote a, a rant about this on my blog recently i get these emails that um, you know people say you know i'm not a professional i'm just an amateur photographer and, and it's very apologetic in tone and I kind of want to shake them and say, look, you're not just an amateur you, any more than I am just a professional. You are a photographer and we're all growing. And the minute you say, I'm just an amateur, um, you know, it tells me that you're frustrated. It tells me that you don't think that what you do is valid as a, a means of expression. Mm -hmm. And 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 I think it's it, it impacts all of us when photographers that have potential uh, get frustrated and don't do their, you know, what they're capable of and really, and then they just end up being these, you know, these quiet little, I'm just an amateur, you know, and I just think how, how tragic that they wouldn't feel like they were valid just because they also have a real job, you know? Um, so if you love video, go do video, do stills, you know, do whatever makes you happy. Just don't feel the pressure. Even for, as a commercial photographer, you got to make sure there's a return on the investment because that's a huge investment to get into video. And I don't think that the return on that investment is going to be for most people. I don't think it's going to be significant enough to warrant getting into this whole thing. Yeah. Well, David, one one more time, tell us uh, or tell the TWIP audience where what the title of your book is and where they can go find it. I would happily do so. The title of my new book is Vision Mongers, Making a Life and a Living in Photography. And they can find that at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or at your favorite bookmonger. Yeah, a a absolutely. And uh, where can they get this ebook we were talking about? Uh, I have four ebooks right now, and they are all available on my blog uh, at pixelatedimage.com slash store. And, uh, and they're all $5, and they're all available there. And I got to say, you know, and I'm not just saying this because you're my friend. Um, looking at, I'm still scrolling through one of these books. I'm looking at the one that's called 10 More, and it's, it's just a beautifully laid out book. It's worth way more than than uh my morning latte so <laughs> it's uh so good job and bravo for for making this book and blazing the trail and uh pricing it so affordably so thank you for that no oh, you're very welcome thank you all right uh so where can people find you online if they're looking for you uh, my website is pixelatedimage.com and my blog is pixelatedimage.com slash blog. And uh, from there, if you're looking for me on Twitter or Facebook, if you go to my blog, there's links on the upper right-hand side that link to my Twitter and my Facebook and, and, and all of that sort of thing. 
Very cool. All right, David. Thanks a lot, and thanks again for coming on this week in photography. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Frederick. All right, that was uh, photographer David Dushman. That was author David Dushman talking about his brand new book, Vision Mongers. If you'd like to learn more about that book, head over to David's um, blog. I think he's at Pixelated Image, pixelatedimage.com, or just head over to Peach Pit Press or Amazon and search for either David Dushman or Vision Mongers, and you'll find it. All right, time for another uh, nod to our sponsor. Who's our? Who's the other sponsor? Uh, another sponsor we have is Squarespace.com. And of course, uh, you can go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP to get a, uh, to get a free uh, tryout, um, to see a free trial. Uh, of course, this is optimized for both beginners and CSS experts. And uh, you know, there's hundreds of design templates. Uh, there, you can, the service is all built up, so you don't, have to have a, you don't have to get a server. You don't have to set it up. You don't have to put it anywhere. You can just simply um, punch it all, you know, put it all there. They serve it up for you. It's, it's you know, so- software as a service, SaaS. Yep. And... Um, uh, uh, you know, you can put up forums, photo galleries, uh, form builders, uh, and I. This is what I use um, for my all of our stuff. The front end of all of our new uh, websites mm-hmm. are all go- and Twip blog, of course, the what people go to here mm-hmm. is all done on on Squarespace, and um, and so all of that stuff is uh, is done there, and it's just fantastic. So um, definitely check out squarespace.com/twip. If you use TWIP as the coupon code, you'll get ten percent off when you sign up, but you don't need a credit card or anything else to try it out. And we've gotten tons of great email coming in from people who have been trying it out and uh, and loving it. Yeah. So um, I would add to that one other one other cool thing about using a software as a service hosting platform for your blog is um, not to say that you're impervious to viruses and your site going down, but you're probably less susceptible to that because it's yeah. sort of a hosted platform, and once they fix it, everybody gets it. So with well, some other it, solutions, and we've had our sites go down when we had them served up somewhere. You yeah. know, something goes bad, something goes, and we just haven't had any of that downtime. Uh, you know, with uh, with Squarespace, so very, very cool. happy. All right, let's jump into the listener questions. The first question up is from listener Chris Shields, and it's assigned to either Aaron or Alex. I'm going to give it to Aaron. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I think we could bat this one back and forth. We may have different opinions on it, but uh, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> you Chris cry. Uh, lives out, in Scotland. Um, apparently, has been doing. A, he's shooting a second wedding um, on New Year's Eve this year. He's a little bit worried about the low light levels uh, with the use of his 40D. And it looks like he has a nice lens set here. He's got some 7200 2.8 LIS, which is God's gift to lenses, I have to say. Um, A few other great things. But his question is, in a low light situation like this, and since he's not doing this full pro, you know, all the time, uh, does he think it'd be worth uh, renting a 5D Mark II or even a 5D uh, just because of the improved low light performance? Of course, this isn't going to become a Canon and Nikon discussion here about low light performance. He's already invested in Canon. Um, personally, I would say yes, probably a very good move in a situation like this. Um, light sensitivity is is pretty superb on the 5D Mark II from what I'm experiencing relative to some of the other models. Um, maybe just a tiny learning curve um, you know, on, on a different model. Uh, so definitely this is why I asked the question earlier with Alex. We are talking about renting equipment, having it enough ahead of time to get familiar with the differences in the hardware. But um, I think all in all, if if the uh, you know if what you're able to do the job for offsets the cost of the the rental decently, um, and you you think um, think it might fit your schedule and uh, and your budget, I would say it's probably a wise move in a lot of cases personally. Yeah, I, I think you're going to find that the the short depth the shorter depth of field um, mm-hmm. with a 2.8 especially. I mean, if you're not shooting with a uh, like a fifty, you know, one point four, one point eight. Um, I think that 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 shorter depth of field is going to make a big difference when you're doing those types of uh, shots for a wedding. 
you know, getting that real luscious look that you're going to want to get. The bokeh. Um, the bokeh or bokeh. Well, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not go down that road. And, uh, and the... Um, uh, so I, I definitely think so, and and I and it really is a great way to to decide whether that's a camera that you want. Um, you know, the five D is a pretty nifty little camera, and you are going to find much much better low light performance than the forty D. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also going to you know have a higher resolution. You're going to have um, shorter depth of field, uh, and and especially when you want to you know have these be your demo reel, so to speak, or your or your, your you know your demo. Um, renting it for a couple uh, projects makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you're also not going to want to send it back. <laughs> yeah. Which is half the problem with rental. I'm about to rent a lens for our trip next week. Uh, I think I'm going to get the new um, 24 millimeter, the uh, new tilt shift from Canon. That's the two model, essentially, that just came out, which a lot of people are claiming is one of the best lenses they ever built. So uh, I'm I'm really terrified of how much fun I may have with that lens because it costs pretty much more than my camera body. They need to come out with a like a rent to own type service where you can rent. <laughs> well, I guess they do have it. It's called credit cards, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, next question up is uh, signed to Ron. It's Chris Scag- Scaglino. I can't read that. <laughs> Scaglino. There you I'm go. Going. I think Scaglino. So. Take it away, color- Ron. Chris asks, what color space should I be using? He says, I've been shooting digital for several years and have always used sRGB. I understand there's also Adobe RGB and Pro Photo. I shoot exclusively in RAW, and my first stop for post-processing is Capture NX2. How does color space affect or is it affected by RAW? Uh, should I be shooting in a different color space? And that's the that's the real issue right there. This is we kind of touched on this last week too, with the sense that um, when you've got different picture styles that you can shoot inside of a camera. Uh, the same thing is true with shooting raw as with picture styles for for color space. In the sense that really it doesn't matter what you're shooting. Uh, when you shoot raw, you're getting everything that the sensor can do. And normally you use a, a color space like sRGB to kind of uh, balance out how much data you're using to capture an image. But if you're shooting raw, it doesn't matter. So you'll come in, you know, you'll get everything that the sensor is capable of doing, uh, and then your choice of output is where you would choose a color space. And typically, if you're going to be publishing anything on the web, you go to sRGB. That's what most browsers and monitors tend to be calibrated to show. If you're going to be going to some other media or something where you want a uh, a JPEG that's got more colors in it, you know, for potential later post-processing or for print or something like that. Then you want to go with one of these bigger color spaces like uh, Adobe RGB uh, or some of the what they call wide gamut color spaces. But if you're shooting raw, it doesn't matter in terms of what you're capturing. Uh, it probably it may affect what you see in the little LCD on the back of the camera, but that's about it. Yeah. You have anything to add to that, Aaron or or Alex? No. All right. Nope. Moving right on. The next question is up from listener Joe Kleeman. It's about Christmas cards or holiday cards for you politically correct among us. And he wants to know, do you have any good sites for printing nice Christmas cards or other cards that won't break the bank? And I would say, I'll tell you what I'm going to use this year. Um, Moo.com. I'm using Moo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's pretty good, don't you think? (laughs) You know, he just broke my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) So Moo.com, if you haven't been there, they make these little cards that are, uh, well, they started off making these little, <laughs> all right, I'm out of here. I can't, work. I'll be in my trailer. I can't work like this. <laughs> they started off making these little cards that are uh, little, little kind of smaller than your normal business card cards that you could um, have an individual image on every card. So they're a great way to carry around and give away your images or give away your, your, uh, your cards, but also show a sampling of your portfolio. 
Well, now they've uh, grown their, their business to different size cards, including Christmas cards or holiday cards, sorry. Um, holiday cards and stickers and all kinds of things. Yeah. You're off mic. I'm off mic. Hello? Yeah, Can you hear me? There you go. No, I can. All right. I'll just talk like this. <laughs> um, but holiday cards and all sorts of things in there. Um, but I think I'm going to do this t- this year instead of doing your traditional folding card. I'm going to do the iPhone sound <laughs> on my no, I'm going to do a uh, a card, but it's going to be sort of a flat, unfolded card in an envelope. And I'm going to use some of the images that I shot at the Aperture Nature Photography Workshop Nice on my series of cards this year. So lots of winter wonderland shots in there that I'm going to use. So I would definitely, Joe, uh, check out Moo.com and look at their, their card offerings. They're really quick. They look really good, and they won't break the bank. Moo. All right. Uh, another quick nod to our sponsor. We are sponsored by the new voice-activated Sync. Sync listens to your voice, so it knows wh- what to do when you tell it to play, say, This Week in Photography, Call Home, or play your favorite playlist. Or it can even give you turn-by-turn navigation instructions, uh, or even weather and traffic updates. It's all hands-free and controlled by the sound of your voice. For more e- details, visit SyncMyRidePodcast.com and enter to win a free nano or zoom and send a tweet a tweet with the hashtag sync my ride podcast to enter that all right let's jump into the picks of the week and first up is mr ron brinkman ron what's your pick <laughs> well just this is just a quickie one and as much as uh, i like to give people a hard time about worrying about equipment when they should be out taking pictures i do have to say that i follow a, a couple blogs uh, the one i follow is called canonrumors.com there's also an equivalent nikonrumors.com uh, and these are the guys that just sort of troll around the web and look for any sign that there may be some new gear ready to be announced by one of these uh, one of these manufacturers. There's also something called photorumors.com, which tends to cover all of the other uh, uh, vendors, the the Sonys and the Casios and whatnot. Um, it's a complete waste of time because as often <laughs> as not, you'll get bad information out of there. But you know, it, it's kind of fun to watch the rumors heat up, uh, and I can at least justify it by saying I'm doing research for this podcast. So. I have an excuse. The rest of you people are just losers if you go there. <laughs> nice. All right. And moving on to Mr. Aaron Mailer. Aaron, what's your, your pick of the week? Um, I just wanted to, uh, as a pick this week, I wanted to um, point out the blog of uh, one of our listeners and a friend of TWIP and a future guest on the show, too. It's uh, Lieutenant Tyler Ginter. Uh, he had sent me a link the other night to um, a video that they had done with uh, the new pre-release of Canon's uh, 1DS Mark IV. Uh, actually, of a, a night combat drop, he does. Um, he and his group do tremendous amount of um, military photography. Uh, hence, the Lieutenant Ginter. Um, but uh, he's done some fantastic work in his blog, including some really nice video tutorials of proper ways to use both the 5D Mark II and the 7D for video use. So, I uh, just want to point there to his blog. Uh, he's at uh, blog. Tyler T y l e r g i n t e r dot com, and we'll have it in the show notes as well. And look forward to having him on the show sometime in the coming weeks. Excellent. You got you to gotta nail him down and get an interview with him. He sounds like uh, he's got lots of stories to tell. Definitely. He lives about three hours north of me, so I'm looking forward to getting together and shooting with him sometime soon, too. Very cool. All right. Mr. Alex Lindsay, what's your pick? My pick? Uh-oh. I'm going video again. Ugh. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. We just got... so we Direct just... your hate tweets to Alex Lindsay on Twitter. <laughs> Oh, you well, photographers who are th- including you, Ron, that are tired of hearing about video on This Week in Photography. I'll make it quick. <laughs> Shut your belly aching. 
So the, get it uh, out. Get it out. Go on. Go so on. anyway, so the uh, uh, my pick of the week is we we just got uh, we had to shoot a bunch of video. In fact, we bought these seven Ds, the Canon seven Ds, actually as video cameras, not as. Uh, still cameras. And um, one of the things we got for them was a Steadicam Merlin. So a Merlin is this little tiny Steadicam. And so it's a, uh, it's a, it's a small Steadicam that you can put you know, an SLR or a smaller um, DV camera on. Mm-hmm. And it, it does a lot of what the Steadicam does, which is steady, steady out the image. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have found that that's really important um, because these, uh, all the SLRs are very sensitive to vibration when you're shooting video. Right. If you're not on a tripod, there's lots of little things that are going on there that are unlike what you're used to with a still camera. And so, um, uh, I mean, it's not what you're used to with a camcorder. So you really, you know, want to have it really be nice and steady. Even on a, we found that we were even having lots of little adjustments on a, um, uh, you know, on a monopod. So yeah. really, the steady cam makes a huge difference. I thought, you know, uh, you know, we're going to get the Merlin. We'll see how it goes. I think this is all. You know, kind of a they're taking us down a ride because it's it's a really cheap version of, of a steady cam can be like thirty five thousand yeah, dollars. You know, is so this thing? about eight hundred. So, um, so I thought, oh, I don't know if it's going to be worth eight hundred. Well, it turns out it's quite a piece of machinery. I mean, there's a lot of balancing. There's a lot of stuff that they put into it. A lot of ways to control it. Um, I was actually fairly impressed that we got it for the price that we did when I when I actually saw it. So, so that's my recommendation. If you are moving towards video and you want your SLR to have that kind of floaty, steady cam look, the Merlin is a is a great solution. So, um, definitely check it out. All right, thanks. And my, I, I, just, I just wanted. To, sorry. Oh man. Uh, yep. <laughs> Go ahead, Ron. Just cut me right off. I was ready to jump uh, into mine. Go no, ahead. Good, as much as I'm complaining about too much video, I have to say that I've, I've used it. There's, there's a thing called the Steadicam Junior before this as well, mm-hmm. and they actually make a huge difference. Yeah. And uh, e- even though this is supposed to be a photography show, I'm seeing more and more people that are shooting video with their SLRs and shooting really bad video because they're hand-holding it and it's all jerky and looks like crap. Uh, so these are definitely worth getting and using. And also, even if you don't want to invest 850 bucks on one of these, uh, just search online for build your own steady cam or something like that. And you could build a pretty good one, uh, for a lot less money, uh, that will do, you know, not as good a job as this, but significantly better than hand holding it. So it's worth looking into. And I have to say, I, I thought about building my own until I actually, you know, th- thought, well, well, we'll see if we don't like this, we'll send it back. And, but the machinery, the machining on this thing is so no, fine tuned. Totally, I was like, oh, I'm not building that. Exactly. You know? That's exactly what we were talking about earlier. Right. You yeah. know, if you're using this in a pro setting, then absolutely just spend the money and you'll be very happy you did it. But if you know, you're uh, starting the experiment with video and you're realizing that all this handholding stuff you're doing is, is starting to make everybody watching the videos get sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at it just building something around. I mean, the, the, the whole point of something like this, the whole science behind this is just sort of a counterweight that hangs below it and takes out all of that high-frequency jitter that you get when you're holding a, a camera. And, you know, you almost have to wonder, even if you're shooting stills, it might be kind of fun if you coupled this with a, uh, a remote shutter release, if it would be a useful thing to have, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, can I go now, Ron? It's, is it my yes, turn? please. Come on. Yeah. Go, Fred. Go. <laughs> what are, what are, what are you go? waiting for? I got for? all kinds of picks over here. I'm trying to Fair give out. What are you waiting for, Fred? <gasps> <laughs> all right. Um, of course, my number one pick for today, because it's its birthday, is the Drobo S. So we already right talked here. about that. Right there. We talked about it. So go to Drobo.com. Check it out. Um, but my real picks, my photography-related picks, are um, a, a guy who I actually met at Photo Plus. Uh, just in New York, he's running this thing called F- Help Portrait, help-portrait.com, where he's doing sort of a worldwide movement for photographers to find someone in need, one, two, take their portrait, 
three, print their portrait, and four, deliver it to them. So, and it's it's sort of taken the world by storm, the photography world by storm, in terms of giving photographers a way to sort of give back to people instead of always, you know, all this blatant self promotion on Twitter and Facebook and blogging and all this. And now you can actually help somebody that couldn't normally afford your services and he's sort of helping organize and facilitate that it's going to help happen on december 12th uh i'm sorry december yeah december 12th of 2009 this year so definitely go to help-portrait.com he's got all the details there and a nice video that sort of walks you through what the idea was and how all this stuff is going down so it's a big. It makes a big deal. I mean, especially, you know, I do. I do that in Africa, mm-hmm. and uh, and it makes a huge difference. You realize that there are people that you're taking photos of that that the, the photo that you give them is the only photo they have of their family. You know, yeah. a lot of us take it for granted that we're taking hundreds of photos of our kids, and yep. you know, and, and all of this other stuff. And it really does make a difference to be able to capture that because it's not gonna. You're not gonna be able to capture it again. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And before we close the show, um, Mr. Ron Brinkman, who looks like he's paying attention over there. What? <laughs> I'm going to throw it to you for the tip of the week. We've got a note in there, so if you if you want to use that one or give us your own tip of the week, that would be great. Take it away. Uh, you know, you, you toss something to me like that <laughs> unexpectedly. That, that was me and punishing you for cutting choice, me off. <laughs> my only choice is to sit here and give you a hard time for tossing something at me like that while I frantically click while over you and click and look use at misdirection. Send the show notes and then see that it's about photographing holiday lights there you go and as he clicks through let's time how fast his internet connection is. and we're gonna move on <laughs> all right so we'll have a tip of the week for next week that was yeah, uh, we we, yeah that didn't that didn't uh, work out as well oh, as we man thought. i so, was trying to catch ron no, off guard but no, we'll put that on twitter yeah you did and and uh, that's not really what we wanted yeah, yeah i know all right all right thanks ron <laughs> for playing along with that also uh head over to lensrentals.com uh they've got a a nice post there on photographing holiday light that's what the uh the tip of the week is and with that um where can people find you alex Lindsay, if they're looking for you i'm on the twitters you're on the twitters alex Lindsay, twitter forward slash. all one word and Mr. Aaron Mailer, where can people find you? Find me uh, on Twitter as well as Half Press, H-A-L-F-B-R-E-S-S. All right. I'm not even going to mention my blog right now because I haven't updated it. All right. So, yeah, find Aaron's blog. And, <laughs> and uh, Ron Brinkman, where can people find you? Uh, on the Twitter as well, Ron Brinkman. All right. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me on Twitter as well at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van or on my blog at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Oh.